Hey everybody, welcome to today's podcast, a world beyond social media as part of a future world. A future world is today's science meets pop culture platform, features on the climate crisis, interviews with cyborgs, visions of our future cities, the future of fashion and more. I'm Anna Kafula, a journalist and digital editor at Dazed. On the podcast today, I'm joined by two women I have huge admiration for. Gia Tolentino, the author of the New York Times best-selling collection of essays Trick Mirror and staff writer at The New Yorker. Gia writes so deftly on the realities and unrealities of everyday life, from scams in millennial culture to loss of faith, identity and personal branding, skewering late capitalism in all its many forms with crystal-like clarity. I'm also joined by Charlie XCX, a musician, artist and auteur that speaks to the future-facing sounds of pop, ever pushing at the boundaries of music making with, most recently, the album that really defined quarantine, How I'm Feeling Now. Today in the podcast, we're talking about social media and how we interact with it as individuals and avatars, as collectives and movements, and as a society all the more fractured the social upheavals, connections, performances and delusions it facilitates and what an uncertain, unyielding future of social media could look like. Thank you for being here today, guys. I'm really happy to have you both here because I think the connection between both of you and the art and work that you do is that you try so passionately to make sense of the world with your respective mediums, I think, without ever being conclusive or closed story and that's a really open reflective thread that I think really lends itself well to tackling the nuances of social media and all its shades of light and dark. So I think maybe like a light place to start <laughs> is um, what was the kind of first social media platform that you guys called home? Um, maybe Gia, you could start off. I was trying to think about this. It might be it might be Neopets. Mm. I don't know if anyone listening will remember Neopets, but honestly, it's probably Live Journal, embarrassingly, uh, but wonderfully. I kept an online journal through a lot of middle school and high school, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Charlie? It was definitely MySpace for me. That was my the beginning of everything for me not only musically but also I guess like creatively it was like the first platform where I felt able to really be creative and kind of hone my own space oh, no pun intended um, but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah there was also Bebo which was I think more a British thing than an American thing I'm not sure and then Blogspot, which I like desperately wanted to make my like go-to platform. But honestly, I just didn't have enough like to write about. So it was MySpace. <laughs> Charlie, what was your, what was your, the song that played when you opened your profile? Well, I had like um, an artist page. Oh, so right, it was right, like right. my like stuff, you know, yeah. and at the time I was, I remember, I remember like my like, online life and my school life never really crossed until I did like a cover of Soldier Boy which was <laughs> obviously like really really embarrassing and all of the all of my friends in school were like that was really lame and then I was like oh great everybody knows about this how embarrassing um so there was it was that for a while god nightmare um, it, it's funny you bring up Bebo as well because I think Bebo was making a comeback no yeah. oh my god I like dread to think of like the images that are on my Bebo do you know what I mean like because you know I feel like I don't know about you guys but I feel like I'm especially when I was younger I made so many accounts for so many different platforms and they were all under like really stupid email addresses like super mm -hmm. cutie like 21 like all these weird email addresses with even weirder passwords and I just don't remember how to get into any of them and like deactivate them so there's probably a lot of embarrassing stuff out there for me. It's funny to think about the traces of us that we splashed all over the internet in middle school and early high school and have forgotten about. When I was writing my book I tried to uncover as much of myself on the internet and go like try to use my journalistic skills and, and I found like I found little diaries that I was keeping on angelfire.com, you know, at age 11. And, and yeah. I don't remember writing these things at all, but 
but yeah the, they're there somewhere <laughs> what's angel fire that sounds like a sick website <laughs> i know doesn't it actually it was this sort of platform where you could build little websites about your stupid little hobbies and i had one when i was around 11 and it was full mm -hmm. of sort of blinking fairy gifts and little dolls little kind of online paper dolls and you know you would build these little private corners these little kind of temples to your dumb little interests and and they were kind of private it wasn't you know it wasn't these it wasn't social and algorithmic in the way that these things were it was just you would build your little private thing it's interesting now that you know so much what was maybe once so vast has kind of just funneled itself into maybe like maximum five of the major like big social media platforms yeah i i agree with that but i having just recently discovered tiktok sorry mm. i know we're like i i could i don't know how long i could be on this call without talking about tiktok so sorry <laughs> i just had to get there but like now that i'm like on it and like actually actively using it i do think that that is a platform that yes even though it's like one of the main five or whatever however many there are i feel like in that platform in particular there are so many different like subcultures that are really like growing and bubbling on that platform which actually do allow people to kind of really go off down like quite niche and unique tangents and really express who they are on that platform i feel like there's a lot of room for self-expression on tiktok and like quite like weird stuff and like i really like that platform because i feel like you can be whoever you want to be and whoever you are it's very forgiving it's very um encouraging of you know your uniqueness and your truth oh that sounds lame but you know <laughs> that that's kind of cool whereas i think on like other main platforms um particularly instagram right now i feel like there is this sort of brand that instagram itself has created which now a lot of platform of the people on the platform aspire to there is this sort of instagram aesthetic which actually now having been on tiktok to me it feels very flat it feels very I mean, you know, I know we all know like Instagram is your like curated life or whatever, but now being on TikTok and seeing how like messy and insane that can be when I go back to Instagram, it does feel very two dimensional and flat and um, and quite like placid kind of thing. Whereas TikTok, I'm just like, I'm like obsessed with it. It's so weird. It's so weird. I'm just, I love it. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's genuinely anarchic in a way that the early internet was and that the like Instagram and Twitter certainly are. And I think TikTok is definitely, I mean, I think one of the things that I found pleasure about the early internet is that there was a sense of discovery and of private discovery and of sort of um, cordoned off. It wasn't the, the, like Instagram and Twitter, the economic incentive on those platforms is for every user to be kind of, increasingly glossy, increasingly consistent, and seen by an increasingly, indefinitely increasing number of people into infinity, and to have mm -hmm. that audience never change and never leave and only ever get bigger, which we have seen does wild things to people's psyches and to civic life and to everything else. And TikTok, this, you know, the smart thing about that platform is, and, you know, the scary thing too, is the way that it obeys that law of increasing kind of ever increasing visibility, but parcels it out so that it's not the platform doesn't become governed by the algorithmic sameness that starts to accrue on Instagram or Twitter or even, you know, Spotify core, you know, the, the same mm -hmm. sort of like there is a more flourishing because what people see, it's not like on Instagram where everyone sees the same things, Twitter, when everyone's looking at the same things that go viral. On TikTok, it's really, really like tailored and separated. So there's not the same fixed feeling. Yeah. And I, I love that. I mean, I love how even just when you open the app, you're like bombarded with stuff, like right from the jump, you know, there's no chance for you to like be like, what do I what do I want to look at? It's just like, look at this. Because it already knows. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I wonder if we if we could go back a bit because you um spoke 
um, a little bit there about kind of personal branding um, with maybe with regards to like Instagram, but Gia, you've kind of discussed it in previous work, the economy of self and how social media gives us the tools to kind of constantly market ourselves or provide data for others to market to us, whether we want to or not. Um, and how our identities kind of become monetized, our food pictures become monetized. I, I wonder how you would maybe both grapple with that as um, an artist and as a writer. Well, it's interesting, you know, I was glad, I'm really glad to be having this conversation and talking with Charlie right now, because I think the way that both of us are attracted to social media and to using the internet is, I think, and Charlie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's fundamentally rooted in an approach to the world that I think we both share, which is an energy for being around people and feeding off of the, you know, the friction and the real, like, I think both of us have a real hunger for the world and for creativity that is reflected in the way we use social media and also the things that both of us do, these are public facing acts of communication and interchange, writing, making music that inevitably, you know, like our work is tied up in social media, you know, for both of us. Um, and it makes this question of how to disentangle ourselves from the worst parts of it trickier. Like, yeah, one of the things that I end up writing about over and over is that, you know, the, the contemporary internet, its entire economic model is on the commodification of selfhood. It's like capitalism has already extracted maximum value out of the land, you know, out of out of the animals, out of everything. The the sort of capitalism has monetized our spare time, you know, our spare bedrooms through Airbnb, you know, it's mm -hmm. and now it is monetizing every last spare minute of our attention through these social media networks that monetize, you know, us standing in line at the grocery store, that's being monetized. Every time we look at the news, that attention is being monetized. Every time we search anything on the internet, we are being tracked and recorded and our data is being resold. Anytime we express ourselves, it's like the, the last natural resource for capitalism to exploit is selfhood. I find that really interesting, really, really awful, really magnetic. And it is, you know, an economy that I have participated in with enthusiasm in part because, you know, I write about the internet and I'm on the internet and I like it. And it's hard to separate yourself from the internet when it is the primary thing that is now connecting us to the rest of the world, especially this past year in quarantine. It's really interesting, like, listening to you talk about it because, like, you're really smart. <laughs> and, like, I, I just, like, don't really care that much. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I think I... I understand what you're saying like when you said I think we share a similar view and like yes but also like no like I just I'm never thinking like that deeply about the internet I'm never thinking that there are moments where I'm like on it because I'm like I want to find a great reference on Pinterest and that's about as like kind of like deep as I go and then like yes yeah, sometimes if I'm posting something I'm like oh I want to post something creative but generally I'm not sitting on the internet thinking like about I, I don't know I just don't think about anything no, well that's what I mean though I think right. like you like your internet presence seems like a natural outgrowth of how you are in the world right got you you know like yeah. th that's what I mean and and so like so is mine you know we're like open to the world we're interested on it we use you know we use social media the way that we live in the world um, right and yeah, I think yeah. only like yeah that's all I mean and okay and and that and like that part of me exists alongside and parallel to the other part of me that's always thinking about you know these underlying structural things got you yeah okay then sure I mean yeah I just I don't know it's like I feel like I've gone through phases in my kind of like artist career where I'm like obviously using the internet as a promotional tool or a communicative tool where I've began to overthink it and it's just become so unenjoyable and stressful and kind of counterproductive so now I just don't um I'm like you know 
fine to make mistakes on social media like I say that now it's always like really shitty when you do and you get like come for but like I also I'm just like you know what like life is so short everyone's making mistakes every day there'll be like another person in the firing line tomorrow like let's just move on with life you know so I try my best to not fixate on what I'm doing on social media and just kind of move through it in like a natural fluid way and often like as you said like I'm fascinated with it I'm also like scared of it but I just try and like I just try and like dull out its power and just go for it and I guess that's easy to say when like nothing's like flying your way in like a kind of aggressive and horrible way but um yeah I don't know it's like I think you can get really caught up in like the minutiae of the internet and especially as an artist in like the minutiae of like fandoms and like what the fans say and think and you know their opinions on like what an artist should and shouldn't be doing and that can be really stressful because it's like wait like how are all these like you know millions of other people in control of my thoughts like and have so much power over my thoughts when I should have all that control you know so I kind of just I'm at a point now where I'm just like fuck it (laughs) you know what I mean like just go with the flow because yeah I've definitely gone down the wormhole of like being traumatized by the internet and it's just really not worth it Mm. and I'd say it can probably be quite exhausting to kind of think in your think of yourself like as person as artist as online persona and how those interconnect and diverge with each other because then you're just constantly kind of living life as a performance. Right, and like, I, so I don't, that's the thing. And I just, you know, try and do like the same thing all the time in like all three areas of my life. But what is interesting is that, that I, I think like, you were talking earlier about like looking back at some of the things that you wrote uh on like I can't remember what the website was but, yeah when you were, yeah so we should sick. actually buy that domain and use it as a fandom it's so sick <laughs> yeah and I was thinking about like when I like wrote diaries when I was younger right and they were obviously diaries that were for for me you know never to be read by anybody else and they were very like real like so and so said this to me at school today da da whatever but I remember when I wrote them even though I was being very real and very accurate to what had gone on in the week or whatever and it was it was always very surface level it was never really too much about my feelings I don't think I'd really accessed them yet to be honest but it was always quite performative which was interesting. And this was like before I was on MySpace or really on the internet in like a excessive or even just casual way. I was always writing this very like real, quite boring, inane stuff in a very like, yeah, kind of exuberant, performative way, but no one was ever gonna read it. It was just for myself to read. So. I always have thought about that in terms of me and my realness and also how now like realness is kind of like a currency for like authenticity and believability as an artist or whatever. And I do sometimes think about how like, I wonder like, I I am real, but then sometimes I'm like, am I like being performatively real? Like, is that just like innately like in my DNA? Because I was doing it when I was a kid, when I was like writing in a diary. And now I'm like, posting like pictures of me with like my finger up my nose is that like being performatively real like I'm so real like look at me like doing this you know I don't know it's like really interesting because I've never been that glossy as a pop star or a person but then sometimes I wonder and I think sorry just this is getting really deep I was talking to my therapist about this I think sometimes it's because I do feel a little bit like an outsider in what I do I feel like not like pretty enough not cool enough not like whatever enough to be a pop star so sometimes my like defense mechanism is 
being like okay well I guess I'll just like be the realist and the weirdest because like I'm the best at doing that and no one can like touch me on that and I think that's always been like a defense mechanism for me like growing up like always like I never felt like I fit in and so I kind of went the opposite way and like made myself be odd to protect myself (laughs) sorry I don't know I got there no I I've, I've thought about this a lot so much in similar ways because when I found these little diary entries that I'd written to no one on a website that nobody knew about they had the exact same tone I was writing the exact same way as I was in my late 20s blogging on sites that were read by millions of people every week and I was like what you know why is this tone of you know, as you say, performance, why is it intact when I was, you know, 10 years old and writing for nobody? And I think, and, you know, there there are things like, I think there's something, I mean, my conclusion about me was that I, I always thought about the internet and the idea of persona in the same way too. It's that I wanted to be pretty much exactly on the internet, the way I am in real life to not, and if, as long as those things were in line, I wouldn't overthink too much about the, the, you know, the quote unquote performativity of the internet, because, you know, it just seems like the logical thing, just keep it in line with how you are in real life. And, you know, don't, don't think any more than that. I decided there was probably something in my temperament. There's probably something in both of our temperaments that from childhood or from adolescence was geared towards these mechanisms naturally, right. That would allow us to be on them in a, be on them in a way that wouldn't compromise you know, our fundamental selfness and maybe something about ourselves that could be shaped by these things without losing its true nature. And I think, you know, and the, and the thing is like, in terms of perform, like performing our realness, performing who we are, it's not just online that we do this, you know, like anytime we're at, anytime we're in a meeting, we're performing ourselves. Anytime we are at dinner with a friend, we are performing, you know, being a good friend. It's, it's sort of a natural, we have to communicate our identity in any situation online or offline. So the idea of performance itself, you know, doesn't, doesn't jar me into thinking, you know, what a wasteland of artificiality. It's like, this is what we do in all, in all times. The only thing about the internet that's different is that this is being like monetized at a large scale, which is right. But but yeah, I'm the, but I was the same way. It was like, uh, I was already, it seems like as, you know, as a middle schooler, I was already predestined to be splashing myself all over the internet for the rest of my life, probably. <laughs> right, right. And yeah, I guess it's funny how like, especially the now, especially the word like performative or performance, I feel like there is this like negative connotation to it, just because there is this like endless quest for authenticity. And I know we've both just been like we're real (laughs) but like I also I didn't I'm part of me is just like oh it's fucking boring like I don't want to know what like the best pop star in the world had for breakfast like I don't give a fuck like I want to see them right in some kind of like hyper real poptastic yeah I want to see the homecoming set yeah you know (laughs) yeah and I think it's interesting because it's it's like kind of this is a bit of a jump so just bear with me but like I don't know have you guys heard about the pact this like songwriting it sounds so ominous this like songwriter this like open letter um that a lot of songwriters are signing at the moment about like publishing rights within the songwriting community and how a lot of songwriters are kind of like taking a stand um against like artists who haven't written their songs Hmm. taking publishing on songs that have been written by the songwriters because publishing is the main income stream for songwriters whereas you know artists have a lot of other income revenue streams that they don't have that was a really janky explanation but essentially it's like interesting to me because there is this like real quest at the moment for authenticity within like all art obviously but I think particularly in music there is this real kind of like stigma of like oh they don't write their songs they're not real I can't buy into it kind of thing and I feel like it's been that way for for, for a while it definitely wasn't that way in the 90s but 
then there was this whole like turn of like oh if they didn't write are they real can I like believe in them are they like saying their truth like whatever and I think that transferred to the way like labels wanted artists to be on social media like I literally remember having like a meeting with my record label probably around the time of like boom clap where they were like we just need like you to post like every Tuesday about like your flaws <laughs> and like maybe you could take some more pictures with dogs and I literally I like stormed <laughs> out I was like this is fucking ridiculous like because it was crazy I was like that's not real like what because I posted a picture with a dog I'm real like shut the fuck up anyways I feel like there's there was there's this real culture of like you know the more you show of like how real you are the more you like tell your story the more you like write your own songs the more we get to see you know inside of your home and your real life and your personal life the the more successful you will be because you know fans can access every like iota of your being which yes I get it but I'm also just like I'm at a phase now where like real is almost boring because it's that thing that's been like over recycled and recycled like hi I'm real I'm nice I'll be your friend I'm real like I now want to see the opposite of that I want to see like the hyper real the fantastical the like absolutely avant-garde and like out of this world I don't want to like be friends with my favorite pop star I want to be like oh my god they would like stomp on me like they're so sick you know and it's I brought up the pact because I feel the pact being the songwriting pact thing because I feel like I don't care if my like favorite artists didn't write their songs I just care that they like deliver me this like otherworldly experience where they're in a music video being an icon and I just think there's this whole like currency of like real that is beginning to just feel so dull and that's also why I like TikTok because yeah TikTok's real but you can also be so like weird and like TikTok is so performative in its nature you know it's it's there are obviously elements of it that aren't you know that are like how I am cooking but even that's like performative but there is so you know the way you like lip sync along to audio and it's just constantly performative like the makeup is so performative like even the dances I'm like who dances like that when they go out it's so like weird it's like uh -huh. anyway, Sorry, yeah, I know, that was a bit of a ramble, but yeah. There's something about, there is, you're right, there's something about TikTok that A, shows that like these things that are often set as the opposite ends of a spectrum, real and performative, are not actually like that. That in fact, a lot of the way we generate joy in real life, in our culture, in any way, is the act of performing for each other and sort of generating joy and interchange for each other. Um, and there's also what you were saying about the, the pop star thing. It's this, you know, this sort of, this tired sense of discontent with the, with the like hyper monetized authenticity slash realness. I think part of that speaks to the fact that it's becoming increasingly obvious that like there is something to me, there is something that is kind of, ineluctably real and that is what you get in person with somebody you know like like something unmediated experience that is you know kind of irreducibly real to me but once it's mediated mediated and once it is monetized there's something to the fact that like once once you're trying to reproduce and profit from realness it is automatically kind of a a flawed and false category. It's it's, yeah. it's not something like I still do. I mean, one of the things that this past year, as someone that has always really enjoyed the internet, one of like I have kind of stepped away from it this past year because I was always like, I can use the internet so much. I can be on it all the time because I could count on my actual experiences in real life to be bigger and more colorful and more meaningful and more present to me than my online life because I was so hungry for both kinds of experience. And I always had so much of a grounding, you know, like hearing music at a club, you know, like just this being with my friends in person, I was always able to count on that to just so 
drastically outshine whatever representation of it would show up on the internet. But then this past year, you know, real life shrunk to, you know, this one room and this computer screen. And I was like, I can't, I always need the internet to reflect kind of the dimensions of my real life. I can't let it be bigger than my real life. I struggled kind of meant my brain couldn't get around an internet that was bigger than my real life. So I had to shrink it. And I think um, it reminded me of the fact that that sort of category of in-person experience is the only real location for any like viable idea of authentic, like meaningful authenticity for me. And yeah, you're right. Even saying the word makes me feel like I'm, you know, a brand consultant giving a PowerPoint. Like it <laughs> itself has already been, uh, yeah, there, there's already such a paradox in the way it's been monetized that I can't even say it out loud. <laughs> I wonder as well, um, like Charlie, maybe talking a bit more about TikTok, um, the kind of resurgence of Unlock It with the Unlock It Challenge and what that's been like for you to watch, because I think it, it's so interesting because how I was thinking about it was like pop two was so future facing and I think TikTok kind of speaks to an audience that really gets that and gets the those sensibilities that you have and that outlook and maybe that's why it's had this like secondary success online yeah I mean it it's really cool that it's happening um I, what I love about it the most is that it's totally uncontrollable and unharnessable and that is like so amazing you know um to kind of see that because <laughs> I don't know it's just like again you know I'm signed to a major so that's why I keep referencing this um but I don't really act like a major label artist but like seeing the record label like lose their shit and be like oh my god wow i'm like <laughs> like fucking chill out it's also funny because i like said to them i was like so i guess we're like making a music video for unlock it like the song that came out like three years ago or whatever um and they're like you know it's just great because we've always all believed in this song and loved it so much and it's just great to see such brilliant music getting a platform i'm like come on like give me a fucking break you know like, it's so funny like but yeah it's cool I think what I like about TikTok and particularly the way that it controls the charts and also the fucking Grammys as well now like you can really see the impact of viral TikTok songs on like the Grammys and like the charts and that's great the thing I love about it is that it's yeah it's just dictated by the kids <laughs> you know and like what they find and gravitate towards themselves rather than what they're force-fed and I also love that inherently it kind of always leans towards a more like DIY type of um sound like even with Unlock It it's not Unlock It that blew up it's this mashup of me my song and Locket and Tanache's song Super Love that is like really low quality audio like someone put it together it sounds really janky but like that's what is the sound that is like blowing up you know and I think I like that it's this sort of bootleg vibe on there that really um you know captures people's imaginations it's like the mashups and like the weird sounds and low quality audio and it just it feels really collagey and and creative um and so it's cool and yeah I just love that it's uncontrollable because it's so funny watching people like flail around like trying to make things go viral um and have all these conversations and like strategy meetings about like right like what are we going to do for TikTok? It's like, you don't, you can't like do anything. You just have to do your thing. And if something happens, great, like jump on it. Um, but it, it's also made me less scared of the platform. I was actually very scared of TikTok a couple of months ago. I was just a bit like, whoa, like I don't know how to use this. I feel really old for the first time. Like I felt like you know, when my mum was asking me like how to post a photo on Facebook, I mm -hmm. felt like that. Like I'm like asking someone like, how do I find 
this the sound what's the sound you know um but now I feel you know really joyous and like I'm beginning to understand it and it's like really friendly so it's cool that was a long way of me saying it's cool there's something about nice I had the same feeling when I was writing the piece on TikTok and I was like oh my fucking god I am 75 like it took me like 25 minutes to make you know one stupid TikTok of my dog dancing you know like it was but I and I think one of the one of the reasons one of the things that made me understand and appreciate was that it, it's a it's a medium that can really not be approached strategically yeah wonderfully so right and and it is best approached from a standpoint of kind of um nonsense pleasure and that's why yeah and it's like that's not true of any of the other made like all of those all the other social networks are ripe for sort of economic strategy and this is just full-on anarchy <laughs> yeah i i wonder if we could talk kind of more about the social media communities that kind of fascinate you because i suppose like charlie i've been thinking a lot about like hyper pop and i knew like you were gonna say this <laughs> oh, sorry yeah. no, go on <laughs> yeah i just think like the the hyper pop community is maybe an example of people using like engineering social media for their own good um and yeah I, I kind of wonder what your thoughts are there well I think it's cool like I think that it's cool I also think it's just it's like ah, it's so I think it's sensitive but it shouldn't be sensitive I don't know I feel like I always feel weird being asked questions about hyperpop because I don't necessarily feel like a huge affiliation with that particular term. And I also am a bit confused about like where it came from, like what came first, the Spotify playlist or the genre? Like, I, you know, I don't know. Like, so, and I also think that younger artists who would identify as hyperpop are really like quite um protective of that label and maybe don't see me as a part of it and I also just like don't care like who has ever been like this protective over a genre ever I don't know like I don't know it's weird I don't know but what I do like is that um it feels like there is like a bubble of artists and their fan bases who are all really really passionate and really care about this genre of music and they're also all really informed like I think it's sick that like fans know who's like mixing records and like know so much about like not only the artists but the producers the songwriters the people who are involved in like making these songs and records and I also love the pace of the genre it's a very like not only fast growing and fast moving genre but it's it's fast and very instinctive in the way in which it's created and that's really cool like I have always worked like that I've always been very spontaneous with the way I make music I've always been very quick with dropping songs releasing like content and I think that the genre of hyperpop is very much like that I also just it just stresses me out to talk about it because I feel like I don't know if I'm part of it or not you know I've like read some shit and I've watched some shit that says that I am I've read some shit and I've watched some shit that says that I'm not I just I'm like if I'm gonna get in like yelled at for talking about it just like I don't care that much to like get in the beef do you know what I mean yeah. I am doing a session with Glaive today though so that's pretty hyper pop of me he's so eloquent like talking about all of this kind of stuff music genres hyper pop like what he thinks about hyper pop I'm just like ah this it's like you know when you like stare at the stars or when you're like high or drunk and then you're like oh my god like are we the only ones here like the world is like there's another world out there and then you kind of get existential like that's what talking about hyper pop makes me feel like it's like a chicken egg situation Spotify are involved there's a lot of really vocal like avid fans I'm just like I'm just over here like doing my thing like I don't know whatever I'm part of it if you want me to be I'm not if you don't cute I think it's even interesting just seeing a community kind of 
like archiving itself in real time and deciding all these like laws and rules but then not really sticking to them and kind of letting it like blow up from there yeah I I like you know what another thing I like I I like hyperpop by the way I just want to like put that on the record um I just I don't I I've never I've never come across a genre which has there's just always every interview I've done recently there's been like so hyperpop like let's get serious and I'm like what how did this happen with this genre this is so weird like you know it's just so strange that it's become this like intellectualized like question that I'm supposed to like sit and be like fuck like I better answer this right at least that's how I feel but I think like to what you're speaking to there like the internet kind of one of its faults it kind of makes us um have to distill things into like a certain amount of characters or like a headline that it has to have this like you know brand or like framework that it fits into for everyone on the internet to be able to understand it or to engage with sometimes Mm. Like, I wonder maybe if we could talk then a bit about like what the utopian aspects of social media are for you guys, because, you know, we've kind of talked a bit about those communities, but also, you know, what are the inextricable pleasures for you? What is the kind of self-expression that you take from it, the communities that you enjoy, the connection? So much of this, so much of this discussion that we're having for me, it's so colored by the last year of the internet kind of swallowing the entire world. And I think, you know, for me, I have, I have this past year, I've been more grateful for the internet than ever and more certain that the internet is insufficient and incomplete, you know, that, that the things that I want and the things, you know, that it's, the things that I want, the connections that I want, the experience, the feeling that I want, most of it is located offline and at best reflected, you know, through the internet. And I think, I mean, I still get an enormous amount of pleasure of being able to, and this is, this is apart from social media, but I think I've just tried to remember, remind myself that like so much about the internet is sort of, it is essentially magical. Like I, I love, my favorite places on the internet are the comment section in YouTube. I like watching live performances from like, you know, the sixties and seventies on the internet and reading the little comments, you know, it's like, I'm here from Argentina. I'm feeling lonely. You know, this, like, I I like, I like these spaces that are like these little private spaces, you know, and obviously the comment section on YouTube isn't private, but like I have really been vibing on those. I really have been vibing on completely private niche forums, um, such as garden.com, where people just post pictures of their flowers and encourage each other on how to grow them. Um, I've been, I've spent a lot of the last year looking at a website called Window Swap, where you can pull up a window and it'll show you a view outside of a random person's window all over the world, you know, anywhere. Um, you know, you can see like construction going up in Dallas. You can see the plants on someone's window in Japan. You can see you know, the plains of South Dakota. I have been doing a lot of that. And I, and I have been, yeah, I mean, I still find it kind of amazing that you can see, you can see something and you can text a picture of it to anyone that you, anyone that it makes you think of, you know, I still, I still have been, I've been like gravitating towards those kind of more private pleasures on the internet this past year. Hmm. Um, you made me think of there's a um, there's a Twitter account that um, just collates comments from YouTube from underneath like old rave. Um, exactly. Videos. The best the best places on the internet. Fantastic. It's just people being like, I'm Dan. I'm forty from Shropshire, and I met my wife when we were sixteen at Fantasia in like nineteen ninety one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's great, you know, like the these little like little bursts of joy that you find in like a random little YouTube comment. Yeah, and also this past year, I mean, the thing that I have been like all all this past summer, the you know, Instagram is where I got all of the information, I mean, 
all of the information that I got about the protests that were happening around me and where I should go and when and where the police were and where to go to avoid them. And what, you know, like in terms of community organizing that's happened in the States this past year since last June on social media, it's been massive. And, you know, and even I think about like my own career is only possible because the Instagram democratized who could be heard from and from where, you know, I was able to enter my field knowing nobody living in the middle of nowhere being in grad school in 2011, you know, there is this enormous push towards democratization that is, you know, always at odds with the sort of top down mechanisms of the platform. Um, but I have been really like there has been like this real like activist mutual aid organizing community that has been thriving on social media specifically this past year. Mm. Um, I think it's it's interesting as well, like the kind of opportunities for um, like collaboration and opening those up in a way. I mean, Charlie, it's like a year. Is it like kind of exactly the other day since you started like the How I'm Feeling Now album process? And that was obviously very augmented by being able to collaborate and get in touch with fans online to have that back and forth, like what you were going to do with um, what was like a seminal work of the last year. Thanks. And yeah, um, I was I was just going to say like Gia's favourite places on the internet are so like smart and intelligent and also romantic. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, but actually one thing that I was gonna say and this is a bit sycophantic of me but like one of my favorite places on the internet especially because of the album that you just mentioned is like any place where I can like communicate with my fans and this year in particular that communication became oh sorry last year now I suppose in particular that communication became more than just like love your music thanks babe like whatever it became very real and very necessary and very vulnerable and it was really special not only I think for them but for me too like I felt extremely connected with my fan base at a time where I think they needed it but I also needed it too you know when when quarantine began I definitely as I'm sure many of us were, were hit with the whole kind of what is my purpose type of thing. Cause you know, I couldn't go out and perform. I couldn't like live my life like a like the way that I had done for so many years and so many other people obviously in the same place, my fans included. And so it was really special um, that kind of five weeks of constant communication on multiple different platforms with them um, in a really honest, way and that felt like quite charming um and it made me really love the internet and um it felt yeah like very like we really were an online community creating something together um and it felt very very special outside of that some of my favorite places on the internet are I don't really like not really specific places but just I mean the hyper pop community and the way they talk about music and also like you know like PC music fans and stuff like the way that they're just so knowledgeable about what's going on and also really fucking funny mm -hmm. um, I love that and just like generally like stan twitter which can quite quickly like go very toxic like before it gets to toxic I think it's great I think it's really funny and just like brutal but in quite a like sassy fun way um and also the tiktok comments like people are funny those are some of my favorite places and then also if i'm feeling really brave um the daily mail comments because <laughs> daily mail captions are also a favorite internet yeah. art form of mine <laughs> because i always just think when i go on there it's like you said with the headlines i'm like okay like I don't need to be like worried about like this quality of journalism like taking me down it's fine you know <laughs> like um so that is that's only when I'm feeling brave though because sometimes I can just read them and cry which is a bit sad so you know yeah I got it here and um, maybe like my last question then um a kind of nice one to wrap us up on then is your kind of predictions or hopes maybe fears for the future of social media what you would like to see next 
I think Instagram's going to die like Facebook died and it's going to be like all our parents on there being like, oh, like I just went live. You know, that's my prediction in five years. But I love Instagram. Please like me still. <laughs> You're a great platform. But I do, gonna, right? I do think it's going to maybe become like the Facebook and it, then it's going to be all about TikTok and whatever's next. That's my prediction. Mm. Yeah. Um. I, I hope, let's say, I hope that, I hope that there are more, I hope that we retreat from the great sort of algorithmic full force push towards like maximal total visibility that is on all of these platforms towards, you know, towards keep, like keeping digital life and digital visibility more in line with the proportions of what we seek in real life, which is often, you know, cordoned off spaces and, you know, relative privacy and kind of, yeah, not this sort of everlasting expansion. I think that everyone is seeking something that is smaller and stranger and more truly generative. And you can't be generative if you're under a bright light for as many people to see as possible all the time forever. And I think that hopefully the next, you know, the spaces that we're using in 10 years will feel more like the, the spaces that we like to be in in real life. Mm. Yeah, I think ultimately it's like, how do we engineer the social media maybe that we have or that we could have um, to work for our ultimate pleasures? Um, yeah, I think that's a really nice kind of hopeful um, note for us to wrap things up on. So thank you so much for your time and your conversation and your thoughts. Um, this was really great. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you.